Welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is The Inversions, Part 3, Creation Out of Nothing. Here is where we come to the inversion known as ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. If you are like most modern people, Latin phrases may make you uncomfortable, which is why they are probably good for you. They can jostle us out of our spiritual slumber. But this is one that you should know about for mental health reasons. Prior to God, there is nothing. This was discussed briefly in the previous inversion, but it is so important that it requires an extended look. What does this mean? Consider a woodworker who wishes to build a birdhouse. To do so, he needs wood, nails, perhaps glue, a saw, a tape measure, and a few other things. To create, we need material that already exists. God, on the other hand, does not. He creates from nothing. The book of Genesis states that God is the beginning of all things. Nothing is before God, not even chaos. There is a reference to a watery, formless void in the verse that follows, the opening line of the Bible, but God is prior to this amorphous blob. Also, this formless void does not get a proper noun like the Greeks give to chaos, as if it were an American gladiator. The formless void is just a watery meh. It's nothing. But good luck thinking of nothing because we cannot with our finite abilities. Nothing is incomprehensible to us. The movie Ghostbusters did a nice job of showing that we cannot think of nothing. When the monster tells the Ghostbusters to choose the form of the destructor, Venkman tells his buddies, Empty your heads. Don't think of anything. But Ray, Ray can't think of nothing. He can only think of something. And he thinks of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man and says, It just popped in there. And then they do battle with the giant Marshmallow Man and make cinema history. We cannot think of nothing. We can try to contemplate it, but we can't achieve it, because even if we believe we've found the nothing, we are either thinking of God or we're fooled because nothing existed before God. He is first. The Buddhists aim their meditation at nothing and think of the self as God. Catholics do the opposite. Catholics focus prayer and meditation toward God, who created everything out of nothing, including us. And most importantly, perhaps the most critical thing of all to remember is this. We are not God. Repeat after me. I am not God. And this is why Buddhism and Christianity are incompatible at the very root. The first principles are in opposition. Buddhism rejects a creator and rejects creation ex nihilo. And that's what this inversion is about, as are all the inversions. Not only does God's creation out of nothing disagree with Buddhist thought, but it also rejects Greek and Sumerian myth systems, as well as many modern pseudoscientific theories where the universe was created from pre-existing parts. Today, some will claim that the atoms have just always existed. But the Jew, Muslim, or Christian rebuts this by saying, I know who made the atoms. They did not always exist. In ancient times, if someone, some would say that water was first, Abraham would say, I know who made the water. In the Sumerian creation mythology, water is first, and the gods come later. 
It's not surprising that we might think of water, the sea, as a primordial source of life, since water supports life. But water alone cannot bring life. The substance of water can quench our thirst or destroy us with a flood. It is a healer and a destroyer. But water itself is not being. Water cannot create life. Water cannot create planets. Water cannot create the protons and electrons it requires to be water. The old myths fail in light of modern science. But creation out of nothing does not. The idea of ex nihilo outlasts even science because God made all things that make science possible. He created science by creating. All of it depends on his being and his act of creation. A scientist has no paper to write without the atoms, just as a woodworker can build no house without the wood that God made. The idea of water is associated with chaos in various myth models, and the modern arguments of which came first do not sound very different from the Sumerian and Greek disorder of where being came from. Water is not being. Water is material. In other words, it is created by something prior to it. There is nothing before God in Genesis. There's not water. There's not time. There's not a chaos monster. There's not an island. There's not a pie shop. There's nothing. God is first. We cannot describe God fully, but we can know what he is not, and he is not merely water. To mention something as being prior to God is to misunderstand why God tells Moses his name is I am, or I am who am. In other words, God is being itself. The first being must precede everything, even chaos and formlessness. This is the road to mental health. Why modern psychiatry has not yet caught on to this is simultaneously sad and comical. Listening to modern cures for mental health that exclude God is like watching a coach execute a play repeatedly that hits a brick wall of defensive linemen when a simple bootleg rollout would bring an easy touchdown. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and when he says, I am the vine, and when he says, I am the bread of life, he is saying, I am, just as God said to Moses at the burning bush. This I am statement cannot be stressed enough, and if I fail in this series to fully hammer home the importance of understanding the first being of God, then I too am like the quarterback running the failing dive play into the defensive line instead of the rollout bootleg for the easy touchdown. For this reason, I do believe that Big Pharma fears a comeback of creation out of nothing, but really I wish they would just sell a sugar pill and call it ex nihilo, and they could use their marketing prowess to sell it, because they truly could change people's lives with something better than the dubious SSRI pills they sell. The more people I meet who believe in the idea of ex nihilo have astonishing sanity and positivity toward life. So please, if you're out there, Pfizer, Merck, other pharmaceutical companies, hear my plea. Start selling ex nihilo, and make one of those ads where people are prancing about in clover fields, full of joy, but be sure to include a picture of them kneeling in humility before God, otherwise it's just another snake oil. The same reason SSRIs fail to fix anything is the same reason that the whiskey ain't working anymore, as the country singers say. Pills and booze 
are band-aids for a spiritual malady. The inversion of marketing with pills and booze is to pretend that something man-made can fill the void, that sense of nothing, when only one thing can do that, and it is God who created ex nihilo. The many forms of nihilism today extend directly from this rejection of God as the first being, because we often think that nothing existed before God. Modern philosophers and psychologists got stuck in neutral over this issue, with the big names all being atheists, like Heidegger, and Sartre, and Freud, and Jung, and Foucault. Is it any wonder that depression is at an all-time high, when the replacement for certainty in the rock of God is this watery void of endless therapy and vibes? Can anyone seriously struggle to understand why the self is a crappy God to believe in when one seasonal cold or inflamed elbow joint can render us weak? When we are unsure that God was first, and before him there was nothing, then we have a gap in our consciousness that nothing cannot fill. In particular, the self cannot solve it, nor can serotonin. I call this giant gaping void the Big Empty, shout out to Stone Temple Pilots, and the Big Empty can only be filled by God. The inversion here is that God existed, has always existed, and will exist forever. Once again, the nature of time matters for sanity in knowing that there was a beginning, and being came from God, who preceded all things. That God created out of nothing means you can stop worrying about everything, because quite literally, he has the whole world in his hands. The children's song, he has the whole world in his hands, is not just a feel-good, happy-clappy preschool ditty. It is a key to mental health, because God does indeed have the whole world, the wind and the rain, the little bitty baby, you and me, brother, sister, and yes, even everybody in his hands. Why? Because there was nothing before God, and so there is nothing without God. Thus, with God, who created all things, there is also nothing to fear, because he created all things and saw that it was good. More on that later. Because of this, even death is not something to fear, because he has the whole world in his hands, even the little bitty baby. This is also important because when the devil tempts Jesus to make bread from stones, Jesus answers, It is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Thus, the word of God feeds us because it is the source of everything, the pipeline that nourishes all life. The tree of life is rooted in God. The tree of knowledge leads to death. A simple lesson in making choices is to choose the tree of life over the tree of knowledge. Knowledge is like a side hobby, whereas the tree of life is where the joy of connection to the source never ceases. There is nothing before God speaks all into existence. Now, this should comfort you. This should give you focus, not anxiety. Okay, so we cannot actually think of nothing. So the closest thing is a formless void. This language is stunningly complex while using simple words, but words like beginning and created and without form and void are very simple but very difficult um, ideas. They're very full of things we can talk about over and over. And I only wish that I could write so concisely and meaningfully, but I can't. 
So let me continue with this long-form, non-academic journal style that a hack writer like myself loves to use. One way I try, rather pathetically, to imagine the pre-creation nothing is a painter's easel with a blank canvas on it. The canvas could be black or white to represent the absence of anything. But even then, I'm not thinking of nothing. I'm thinking of a canvas. Or I'm thinking of a space like that white space world in which Neo trains against Morpheus in the movie The Matrix when they're fighting one another. Yet that is also not nothing. It is a three-dimensional empty space, which is something. I can dimly understand what it means to say, out of nothing, God created the heavens and earth. Ex nihilo is a powerful idea that gets brushed aside too easily today by those who believe that atoms always existed, or that there never was a time when the universe did not exist. The Bible says that God created the numbers, atoms, time, three-dimensional space, and every possible thing that we can think of, or not think of, or see, or not see, or is visible, or is invisible. He created the heavens and the earth, which means a material and spiritual realm. Thus, even that which we can imagine comes from God. Angels and elves and orcs and fairies and furies are attempts by us to think of something to explain the spiritual realm or realms, the heavens. And as St. Paul said, we only look through a glass darkly now, but will someday see God face to face. But we aren't prepared to do that now, not in our mortal state. To do so in this finite form would destroy us, and we'll go more on that inversion later. As created things, as creatures, we can only think in terms of time and space. We cannot think of nothing, nor can we comprehend the infinite. And this is why so many people err in an understanding of God in the Bible, because they think of him like an idol, as something exi that exists in space and time. God is not like Zeus, who lives on a mountain. God made the mountain and everything else out of nothing. He is the author of all things, who lives outside of his work of art called creation. Famous atheists like Bertrand Russell swing and miss on this when they compare God to objects within the universe. Carl Sagan and Richard Dawkins made the same category error. God is outside of time and space because he created time and space. Ideally, everyone would read the opening to the Catechism of the Catholic Church so we can get our terms straight because like the word love today, people mean very different things by that word. We've flattened love into one word, when it can really mean four different things, like sex or passion, um, fraternal love, familial love, or agape, total self-giving. Few people today say love and clarify what kind they're talking about. We do the same thing with God and the word create. We are speaking in babbling tongues to each other, even when using the same language of English, hence the confusion. When we create, we use existing materials. When God created, he did not. He made the materials including the materials that make us and allow us to create. He made the immaterial things, too. Stephen Hawking, the famous physicist, wrote a book called God Created the Integers. God Created the Integers. This is a terrific title, and I almost tipped over with joy when I first saw it. For Hawking is so close to faith, or was so close to faith, he's passed away. He was very close to understanding the source of being, but he worshipped the nuts and bolts of the creation that he studied instead of the creator. He was in hot pursuit of the truth, and he was close, yet so far. In his quest for the Holy Grail of the origins of time and space, 
he was bringing the language of mathematics so near to theology that he almost wrote a love letter to God. Math is indeed one of the places where our finite minds can get close to this idea of ex nihilo. To say, God created the integers, is to realize that when God first spoke, he did include the number one, because before that there was zero, as in nothing. For God to create the number one is to create out of nothing. And without the number one, there could never be such a thing as the number two, or the number three, or any number beyond that. All numbers can only come from God, who is infinite, and like the infinite, is incomprehensible and comprehensible at the same time. Physics is not even far enough back in the chain, because its laws could be different than they are. But math, math basics, cannot be different. God could have made the gravitational constant different and thus changed the universe. But the integers cannot lie, nor can God. Two plus two must always be four, and that applies to both God and humans. Mathematics is one path to God, oddly enough. Who would have thought the nerds in math league could be mystics? With mathematics, to contemplate the integers as a creation of God is to get close to the concept of ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. For even the integers did not exist before God made them. Stephen Hawking, even if he didn't believe, had so many gifts that it always seems worth sending up a prayer for him and for the many other seekers who never came home, just in case purgatory is, is where he's at right now. He appeared to pass away with, with the same rejection of Bertrand Russell on his lips saying, just not enough evidence, God, sorry, not enough evidence. But perhaps he, has, he sealed his eternity by the rejection of God by dismissing that first commandment. But surely there is hope in his turning in the last hour to confirm his belief in the one who created the integers. And this is why the danger of knowledge can lead to pride over humility, and pride is the false guide of so many souls. So we'll say, St. Dismas and St. Gertrude, pray for Stephen Hawking, and pray for us all. In short, we are finite. We are in a box called the universe, or space-time. Yet there is a spiritual reality that we can feel, know, sense, and even reach somehow in prayer. Because we are creatures, no amount of LSD or marijuana will allow us to escape our state of being, even though we know there is another dimension, and perhaps more than one. Although trippy drug experiences may seem transcendent, it can never grasp what it means to be God. And worse, drug experiences are all about pulling God toward the self, bootstrapping our way to God instead of, <laughs> instead of through humility, and not the reception of God's grace. We cannot bootstrap our way to God. We have to be silent and let that still, small voice enter our ears. And this is why prayer works, just like it did for Elijah. Um, because when you pray, you need to stop trying and just be. Because what is being? It is a connection to God. When Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, he was telling us that to be is to connect to the source of all being. And this is why Christians who are born again make no sense to unbelievers. They have a source of life in them that is inexplicable. And of course, to find it, you have to turn back to God. In other creation stories, matter exists before creation, which seems odd until you hear modern people say that the atoms have just always existed. This is an echo of the Greek philosopher Democritus, who felt that atoms and motion were eternal. Thus the writer of Genesis shouts, No! No! Atoms did not exist before God. Before God was nothing. 
not atoms, not photons, not electrons, not strings, and not even the greatest invention of all, not even ice cream. Again, we pass over this inversion with a yawn, despite the fact that, like the first inversion, time, this inversion dumps a whole pantheon of gods and assumptions into the dumpster. Zeus gets serious. Gaia, take a number. All of the Canaanite, Egyptian, Greek, Sumerian, and Roman gods are booted out of the biblical worldview, and I say good riddance because it's much more fun to read Ovid as literature anyway than as uh, literal like gods that existed. However, the ancient writers of Genesis did not have the luxury of looking at Moloch or Zeus as literary figures that explained phenomena in the world. No, this was a deadly bet in the declaration of the creation story because the people of Abraham, Jacob, and Moses did not go with the flow when it came to creation. They did not believe in the maxim, when in Rome, do as the Romans. I realize that's an anachronism. Uh, to say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is to elevate God, the one true God, over all human-like gods of their surrounding peoples. To give an example of what this would be like today, consider how people react when someone takes a knee during the national anthem during an NFL game. Or you can test this today simply by posting on social media, abortion kills a human life. This upsets the worldview of others. Overzealous patriots worship the flag, and those who worship the self do not believe in the souls of certain people groups, especially the unborn. To speak of God as a reality today still invites anger. The 20th century had more violence than any century in history, and repeatedly the Jews and Catholics were killed for their association and declaration of the belief in God, the God Most High. Right now, even in Nigeria or Nicaragua or Israel, your declaration of faith is a deadly statement. That's in many, many countries. And that is what Genesis is doing, and it's doing it over and over again, even today. It is giving a voice to that view, that opinion. It is inverting the idea of what God is and how creation happened. It is asserting a concept of God that makes all the king's horses and all the king's men look foolish for offering sacrifices up to absurd idols, like the Green Bay Packers. Our current idols and religions are really not that different from Moloch or Zeus. What is most important is in this inversion is that it tips over the canoe in which Zeus, Democritus, and Richard Dawkins were all riding in, paddling backward in their fictions. Why is this inversion so powerful? This is a threatening implication because creation out of nothing kicks the stool out from faulty origin stories and causes them to tumble. Most myths, including ones from modern science, are attempts to invert the worldview of Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. They claim that water or atoms or a turtle was first. The Jewish and Christian origin story says that there was no thing, not one thing, before being itself, and that being is more commonly known as God. And how mighty a being he must be to craft such delights, like integers, atoms, time, gravity, the nuclear forces, light, water, earth, fire, wind, and much later, pie shops and ice cream, all out of nothing. That is a creator before whom we must kneel in awe and wonder and love and, yes, a healthy fear. Poets like William Blake understood this wonder. 
When William Blake wrote about the fierce beauty of a tiger with its stripes, we can get a sense of the power, depth, and stunning awesomeness of God's ability to make things. His famous poem about the tiger started like this. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? It doesn't rhyme the way we read it nowadays, but it rhymed when William Blake wrote it. But William Blake is asking, Who or what could possibly create such a thing as a tiger? The answer is God. And once this is understood, we can also begin to know why the proverb says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For it is only infinite power and glory that can do such a thing as creation ex nihilo. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back soon with the next inversion.